0: The text I'm going to be preaching this morning is Psalm 67. Psalm 67. This text has been formative in my life, in my marriage, in everything that I do. In my ministry, in my thinking about North Roanoke Baptist Church, my thinking about the call to pastor. And I don't know if you've ever had an aha moment in your life. Some people call it an epiphany. Um, There are several texts in God's Word that have had that sort of implication, that sort of soul-shaping implication in my life. And this is one of those texts. And if you've been around North Roanoke for the last year, you know that I've referenced and read from Psalm 67 on several occasions, but I've not preached from it. And so today, I want to sort of round out what it is that is so exciting for me about Psalm 67. Would you hear now the word of the Lord? This is for the choir director with stringed instruments. It's a psalm, a psalm. Verse 1. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Would you pray with me? God, help us to see in this text the great joy, the great privilege of being those who have been blessed to be a blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Over the last four weeks, we've considered how to live out our faith in an eternal and righteous righteous king in a temporary and often unrighteous democratic republic. We've been reminded that God has a nation within this nation and within and among all the nations, that he has a people no matter their language or ethnicity or any other distinguishing characteristic, that God has a people for himself from sea to shining sea and to the ends of the earth, a people that he has chosen as his very own. In short, we've been reminded that we are called to be a people who are always living with the end in mind, the reality that we belong to God and we are citizens not only of these United States of America, but we are citizens of the kingdom of our eternal King. We live in light of that fact, what the end will be like, We live in light of that now. That shapes what we think about, how we pray, how we give, where we go, what we think marriage is for. It impacts every single aspect of our lives that God has made us by faith in the King, citizens of His kingdom. Living with the right perspective is critical in just about everything. About 20 years ago when I was in shape and Running long distances every day over at Northside High School, training to run in cross country races. I I enjoyed that time, primarily because I was in shape and I had the accountability of a group to help me. But you had to know how far it was you were planning to run. And I always enjoyed in the off season running in races, and you had some people who would just decide they were going to wake up one day and run a 5K. With no training, they didn't really know what five kilometers felt like. Yeah, they could. Log it on their odometer, if they were in a Canadian car. But they, they, could not, they could not comprehend what five kilometers was, and yet they got there at the race, and the gun was fired, and off they go, sprinting out of the box for about a quarter of a mile. And then you know what happened. Their legs seized up. They went from a sprint to a jog to a painful crawl. And then everyone who understood that five kilometers is more than a hundred meters went soaring past them. And they realized, you know, maybe I should train for the 5k next time. It's important for us to live with the end in mind. It's important for us to understand how the end impacts what we do right now. And as Christians, we are called to live with the right perspective of God's eternal reign through His eternal Son, ushering in an eternal kingdom. This is the characteristic, this should characterize rather our lives in every respect. It's the constant encouragement of Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul who says, we live the Christian life because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, Colossians 1.15. And it is the perspective of the psalmist in Psalm 67. So how is it that we live with the end in mind? How is it we, that we live in light of the fact that God is doing something that is only seen to the eyes of faith? How is it that we live with the knowledge that Christ is now King and that he is gathering a people from all parts of the earth, all kinds of people, to do this, to live with the end in mind, the end that is portrayed for us in Psalm 67? There's three things that we must do. First, we must pray for God's proper blessing and its proper result. Second, we must seek Christ in his kingdom. And finally, we must trust that God will bless us as he wins the ends of the earth. First, we must pray for God's proper blessing and its proper result. The psalm begins as a prayer. He writes, God will be gracious to us and will bless us. He's using the future tense here. It's not reflected in our text, but he's literally saying God will be gracious to us, will bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us. It's a a confident prayer in what God will do for His people. John Calvin says, This psalm contains a prediction of Christ's kingdom under which the whole world will be adopted into a privileged relationship with God. The psalm has seven stanzas, you may have noticed, revealing the ultimate and final desire and purpose of God for his creation. Seven stanzas to show for us the perfect end to which God is taking his people. The psalmist speaks of God's blessing three times once in verse six, twice, excuse me, once in verse one, twice in verse six. And it is good for us to talk about God's blessing and to seek God's blessing, but we must understand what true blessing is. True blessing is not the material stuff that God sometimes gives us. True blessing is rather a relational term. To bless indicates a positive relationship between two parties. The request for God to be gracious to us should be a clue as to what sort of blessing the psalmist has in view. The blessing that he has in view is to be known by God, to know God, to trust God, and to have relational integrity with God in such such a way that when we pray, we know that God hears us, that He loves us, that we belong to Him, that we've been adopted by Him, that we have been made His sons and daughters, that we've been brought into the family of God. You see, the request for God to be gracious focuses on our dependency upon him who has all we need. And what we need, brothers and sisters, is God and God alone. To be blessed by God, then, is for him to graciously qualify us to encounter his presence. Notice the prayer is corporate. God be gracious to us. God bless us. So often we make the faith about just us individually. Well, I got in my car and I turned on Spirit FM and I heard a great song and I was blessed. Well, that's wonderful. But we are not blessed merely individually. We are blessed together as us, the people of God. When we come together and we sing praises to God and when we hear the word of God preached, we are endeavoring to seek out Christ in the text and to behold his face in order that we might know Christ and that we might enjoy and experience Christ And that it would not end there, but that that blessing might in turn be something that we can share with the watching world. To be blessed is for His face to shine upon us, verse 1. It is to be warmed by Christ's smile rather than consumed by His wrath. To be blessed by God is to encounter Christ, the face of God sent for you and for me. It is the blessing that true Israel has sought from the very beginning, since Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden and they lost the opportunity to walk with God in the cool of the day. It is the blessing that Moses spoke to, the, to Aaron and to the sons of Aaron, saying, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace, to give you wholeness. It is what the psalmist prays for three times in Psalm 80, verses 3 and 7 and 19. Oh God, restore us Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. It is to be brought back into communion with God. It is the face that we will see in eternity. The face like the sun shining in its strength, Revelation 1.16. And while we see that face only dimly now as we peer into the scriptures, we know there is coming a day when we will see, as Paul says, face to face. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we are gathered this morning as those who have found the blessing that the psalmist was seeking. We have found the favorable presence of God in Christ. We didn't deserve it, but God found us and made us his very own. We can see him and we can live. And why is it that God has shown himself to us? Why has he blessed us so? Look at verse 2. That his way May be known on the earth, his salvation among all nations. The psalmist mentions the nations or the peoples eight times in just these seven verses. We are blessed to know God, so that the blessing of knowing God would be boundless. In verse one, that it would be known. That, excuse me, verse 2, that your way would be known on the earth. In verse 7, to the ends of the earth. In other words, that the blessing of God would have no geographical limitations. That wherever it is that seems to us that God can't get there, that we can't get there, that the gospel can't take root there, the promise of the psalmist and the blessing that we've received in Christ is that God has given us Himself in order that we might get to the, the gospel to those places that seem the most remote, the most desolate, the most hopeless, the most uh, despicable or deplorable, the, the places that look, appear to us that God could never do a work there. God is saying to us through the psalmist, God's going to do a work there. And the way He's going to do a work there is through the people He's already blessed so that there would be no geographical limitations. And secondly, there would be no demographic limitations, that he would be known among all nations, which means all types of peoples. The nations have been God's mission from long before we read the Great Commission. Jerry Rankin, former president of the IMB, which is the International Mission Board, said the beginning of God's mission From the very beginning, rather, God's mission was to the nations. In Genesis 12, God promises all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. In Isaiah 49, 6, the prophet declares, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. North Roanoke. It will be known that God has visited us when our passion is his passion. It will be known that God has blessed us when our mission is his passion. Mission. It will be known that God has shown us himself when we long for the blessing of his way and his salvation to spill over outside of our walls into the Roanoke Valley to overtake our families and our neighborhoods and our communities and to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. And we even begin to think about structuring our lives and our activities and our budgets and our finances in such a way that the blessing that we have found in knowing Christ is something that is getting out there to those who have not yet known him. The way of God is made available through the blood of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In Psalm 77, 13, the psalmist says, thy way, O God, is holy. In Malachi 3, 1, the prophet declares, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me. In Psalm 25, verse 9, we read, he teaches the humble his way. You see, at Calvary, Christ humbled Himself, and He purified those who trust Him. He cleansed the way for us. He cleared all the obstacles to knowing God by allowing Himself to be broken and to pay the price that our sin was due. He humbled Himself to the point of the cross. And He has taught us His way in order that we too might take up our cross And others might know this Jesus who was crucified for them. The way of God is the salvation of God. It is a path that God paves, which is invisible except to the eyes of faith. It is the way of surrendering our desires, surrendering our dreams of greatness to the greatness of not living for ourselves, but instead for the one who died for us. The way of God and the salvation of God has been given to us in beholding Christ. And God is bringing His way and His salvation to others through His church. The band of brothers and sisters who are pleased and delighted to lay down their lives for those who do, do not yet know their Savior. God is blessing the nations through people who understand they've been blessed to be a blessing. But secondly, we must seek the kingdom. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The psalmist, in verses 3 through 5, though he uses different words, essentially says the same thing. He says, To continue enjoying the blessing of God, we must continue having God's perspective. The joy that we found in knowing God's way and salvation must translate to a desire for all people to praise God. Do you see that in verse 3? Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then in verse 5, we read the exact same words. The word praise occurs four times in these two verses. Praise means a public expression of God's attributes and His works. It is a confession or a declaration of who God is and what He does. Who is God? He is the Lord who will provide. He is the Lord who heals. The Lord our banner. He is the Lord who sanctifies. He is the Lord our peace. The Lord our righteousness. He is the great I am. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the most high, the holy one, the mighty one, the redeemer, the deliverer, the shield, the everlasting God, the son of righteousness, the ancient of days. He is the shepherd and he is, verse 4, a judge who governs with uprightness, meaning from a level place. He judges only on the cross. No matter where you've been, what you've, de- what you've done, what's your sin, He is building a kingdom. That is predicated not upon the whims of men, but it is predicated upon faith in Christ and Christ alone. And if you will surrender your life to Christ and let Him deal with your sin and resolve to live the rest of your life for Him, He is in the business of saving that kind of person. And saving that kind of person that they might be a blessing to those who need to hear the very same message. He governs and judges from a level place. Verse 4 stands at the center of this song. With three verses before and three verses following and verses three and five being identical. I like to call this a giant Hebrew highlighter. They didn't have highlighters back then, but if you wanted to highlight a verse, you'd put it right in the middle and then smack two verses right around it that are identical. That's a way of the Hebrew author saying, look at verse four. In a world where human governments fail, Where people suffer oppression. Where our leaders seldom give us reason to be glad and sing for joy. God has come for his people. And his leadership in his kingdom is a cause for rejoicing. Because he is judging with impartiality. Judging from that level place. He is guiding the nations. And the word guide here means to help the helpless. To treat the helpless with kindness. And here's the reality in a world that is broken and fracturing and seemingly without hope. There is a king who is building a kingdom and it is predicated on who Christ is and what he has done and if you will trust in this king, he will guide the lowly. He will guide the poor. He will guide the helpless and they will find joy in the midst of a world that is otherwise devoid of joy. This is the king that we have been pleased to know. This is the king that we have been pleased to meet. This is the king who is judged. And leading and guiding, and the nations will praise him, and he will use churches like North Roanoke Baptist Church to have a part in growing his kingdom that the nations might be glad and sing for joy. He is coming to the helpless and to the hopeless, not just when he came through the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago, he is coming to the helpless and the hopeless today. He is coming to the helpless and the hopeless tomorrow. And He will be the cause of worldwide gladness throughout the ages. How is He still coming to a world that seems so broken and lost and desperate? He's coming on the lips and in the lives of people like you and me. This is what we seek, North Roanoke Baptist Church. We seek the expansion of God's kingdom. We seek the expansion of the kingdom of God that God might get the praise and the glories due from all nations. We seek the expansion of the kingdom that comes under the joy-inducing leadership of our king, a king who gave his life that the nations might be glad and sing for joy. This is why I'm excited, North Roanoke, that in the budget we will discuss tonight, we will, if we adopt the budget, we will more than double our international missions investments. It's why I'm excited that we will carve out some room in our budget to directly make investments in the Roanoke Valley, not through auxiliaries, not through other people, but for the people of God who are called North Roanoke Baptist Church to make some strategic investments in our valley and in our community and raise the flag for Jesus and say, we serve a judge, we serve a king, and his leadership induces great joy. It's why I'm excited about Night to Shine on February the 10th and our Vacation Bible School and our Wind Shaped Camp and the countless opportunities that are coming in 2017 for you to get involved in what God is doing here at North Roanoke Baptist Church because there are people all around us who need to know our great King. To sing for joy means to give a ringing cry or shout in joy and exultation. It is the cry that comes to those who achieve sudden and inconceivable victory after only knowing oppression and defeat. I had a cry somewhat like this late in the Virginia Tech Notre Dame game last night. It's the cry. It's the cry that comes from the lips of people who have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years of bondage and suddenly are set free. It's the cry that the Israelites make after Goliath suddenly falls. It is the response of sinners who find freedom in Christ who says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." As those who know this joy-inducing king, we must seek the advance of his kingdom where the nations are glad and sing for joy. Finally, if we're going to be a people who live with the good and glorious joy-filled end in our minds, we must trust that God will bless us as he wins the ends of the earth. We must trust That God will bless us as he wins the ends of the earth. You know, there's some things we just know. We know the Hokies will beat the Hoos next week. (laughs) And we know that Hokie fans will be a bit too arrogant about it. And we know the Hoos will respond with a well-deserved reminder that the Hokies wouldn't know a national title in Blacksburg if it fell in their laps. The people of God know some things too. We know that to belong to Christ is to be a person who takes the long view. We know we are in a battle. But the outcome of the war has already been determined. God wins because He won at the cross. And He wins even today as we go in the power and authority of Jesus' name. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. But there is salvation in that name. We know that as we go, that God is winning the nations. We know that God has given and keeps on giving us himself. Why? For the sake of mission. God did not come just so you could feel good. God did not come just to cure your depression, to fix your finances, or any other of the things you put on your checklist that God came for. Yes, He can assist you in all those areas, but He came to build a kingdom where there is the joy of knowing the fullness of the presence of Christ. That's why He came. And as long as we turn Jesus into some little self-help guy and not the king of glory who is building a kingdom comprised of people from the ends of the earth, we're going to miss it. And we're going to reduce Christianity to this mamsy-pamsy checklist of stuff that is so far beneath what Christ is doing that we miss it. God allows us to know and enjoy and feel his presence so that others would be like us, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. And so that, verse 7, all the ends of the earth may fear him. This kind of fear, by the way, is not a fear that is opposed to the joy of verse 4. It's the kind of fear that produces the joy of verse 4. It's a fear that makes us hate evil and gives us strong confidence in the Lord and produces a fountain of life. There is coming a day when the ends of the earth, the entire globe, will be full of the life-giving fear of God when all who are left behind in the renewed heavens and earth will belong to King Jesus. The psalmist wants us to be confident of this. And I want to show you how I know the psalmist wants us to be confident of this. Every single verb in Psalm 67 is in the future tense except for one. And that is the verb in verse 6 where we read, The earth has yielded its produce. Why, Why does the psalmist suddenly change tenses? Because he's calling his shot. He's saying it's as good as already done. God is not only going to send his king, he's going to send his king who's going to be crucified for the salvation of the nations, and it's as good as done. The land has yielded its produce. The produce that we expected in God's good land all the way back in Genesis, it will take root. There will be a harvest of souls. There will be a harvest of righteousness and joy and the glory of Christ. It's as good as done. It's like it's already happened. Crops can be fickle things. I know this because I tried to grow a garden this summer. And I discovered we have more rocks than dirt. And the dirt that we do has has the nutritional value of nothing. So we grew a bunch of nothing. Except for weeds. Weeds can thrive in a non-nutritional environment. Crops can be fickle things. But not the crop of God. Not God's harvest. God will have his harvest. And the psalmist is saying it's as good as done. The promise of produce in the land is the language of restoration through God's Son throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel promised this saying there will be showers of blessing the land will yield its produce zechariah says they will sow in peace the vine will yield its fruit the land will yield its produce the psalmist writes in 85:12 the lord will give what is good our land will yield its produce and then paul picks up this language almost like he's had his quiet time in psalm 67 verse 7 excuse me verse 6 he picks up this language and says the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as, as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. What does that mean? It means that the gospel took root in your life and produced a harvest of righteousness, and as it does that, that same harvest is going to the ends of the earth. The gospel is bearing a fruit unto the glory of our king who is building his kingdom right under our noses. Yes, we can't see it now, but when he comes back, we will see clearly. And right now, you have the opportunity to see what God is doing through the eyes of faith. And I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ this morning. Some of you haven't even met this great king. You've not yet known the joy of meeting this great king. And this morning, you may want to come and say, I need to know this king. Others of you, you know this king, you knew the joy of meeting this king, but then you let somebody turn Christianity into something that's all about you and very little about the progress of the gospel to the nations. It was about how to raise your kids, how to handle your finances, how to have a better marriage, how to have, how to have, how to have, how to have. And it was never about how to give away this great king that we have met to the nations who've not yet met him. And then guess what happened in your life? you lost the freedom and the flow and the joy of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit didn't come just for you. He came to enlist you in Christ's mission. And if you want to know where the joy of being a believer is, it's being out there advancing the kingdom on the front lines. So if you say, I'm down, I'm dumpy, I'm depressed, the holidays are coming and I don't have enough money, I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that, guess where the joy of belonging to Christ is? It's in being in the work of advancing his kingdom until he comes. That's where the blessing of God is found. God has blessed us with the joy of beholding Christ so that the nations might behold Him as well. What we behold today, we must proclaim tomorrow with the same confidence as the psalmist. It's as good as done. The earth has yielded its produce. Verse 7, God, our God, blesses us. Why? so that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. I invite Kim and our instrumentalists to come. We're going to close by simply singing a song about the great salvation of our great God. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you need to do. But Psalm 67 has forever shaped the heart and soul of your pastor. And I pray that in time it will forever shape the heart and soul of you and the heart and soul of our church as we understand that all that we've been given, the great joy that we have found in knowing and belonging to God is not something that we just store up for ourselves. It's something that we seek to to deploy until Christ comes and reveals His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to be a part of a church that's like that. If you need to know a joy-inducing king who gave his life for you. If you have issues. If you've been trapped in trying to turn Jesus into your little genie in a bottle. Rather than someone that the world needs to, needs to know and be delivered by. And you want to come and pray about that. Wherever you are this morning. We invite you to come and to pray. I know we've got a table right here. That's okay. We have sides. You can stand and pray. You can kneel and pray. You could sit in a chair and pray. And of course, you could pray right where you are. Whatever your need, we invite you to come and do business with the King of Glory. Let's sing.